Have you ever been to a, been someplace where you feel like you, you stuck out like a sore thumb, like you, you looked different than everybody else? I, I can think of a few times in my life. Um, went to a football game one time, a, a high school football game uh, in inner city Dallas. I was definitely different than everyone else there. Um, a couple of years ago, I say a couple of years ago, it's been almost 10 years, I have a friend who I've known since he was, he's, he's an adult now, he was a youth ministry kid in Austin years ago before I got here, and uh, he is a, a big, big Texas A&M fan. Parents went to Texas A&M, he went to Texas A&M, his name is Kyle, named after Kyle Field, that, we're talking serious. I know people were whooping right there, if you haven't named your son Kyle or Reveille or something like that, you got nothing on these people. Uh, and so I, he would take me about once a year. They have season tickets. I'd go to a game with a family. Well, he calls me one, one Thanksgiving. He called me before Thanksgiving. And he said, hey, do you want to go to the Texas-Texas A&M football game at Kyle Field? Never been before. And I was like, man, it is Thanksgiving. But, you know, my family will be here next year. Um, and I don't know if this will, this opportunity will. So I asked permission. Amanda said, absolutely go. So I went. Now it was, talk about sticking out like a sore thumb. He was a senior in college at the time. So his tickets were in the Texas A&M student section. So I walk in in my burnt orange button-up shirt. And I'm sitting amidst this, this mob of maroon t-shirts and, and college students. And, and I mean, I, I, I just imagine what it looked like from a distance to have all of this maroon and this one little thing of burnt orange. I mean, talk about sticking out like a sore thumb. And I mean, I was in that whole crowd, obviously the only person that could do double-digit addition and things like that, you know, because it was a bunch of, Ag I'm kidding, Aggies. I love you. I love you. I, I apologized publicly yesterday for all of my Johnny Manziel jokes I made on Twitter when not one Texas Longhorn got drafted. So I've already, I've already repented and hashtagged it. I should have kept my mouth shut because I just... Open it up. But I'm sitting there, and, and I mean, it's, it, it's a, it was a cool experience. And I will say this, Texas A&M fans are phenomenal. I mean, I'm sitting there amongst the quote-unquote enemy, and, and they're having a blast. They, they start to do the saw the horns off, you know, and they're like throwing their arms around me, and I'm like, no, I, don't, I, I, can't, I can't do this, you know? I mean, it, it's, not, it's not right, you know? And they're like, come on, and they're laughing, and just a, a great group, but it was it was definitely this kind of, I'm not like anybody here moment, and I don't look like anybody. Sometimes, sometimes we embrace being different. Sometimes. But the most of the time, we, we like to connect to a, a larger group. We like to, to feel like we belong, that we're not out all alone on an island. Um, You've, you've seen it before, and maybe this has been you, and some people, some people are wired this way, but most of us aren't. You, you've been at a restaurant before, and you see somebody, they come in, and they sit down, they order their meal, and it's just them, and part of you kind of like wants to like invite them over, you know, because you kind of feel bad, and you, can't, you keep looking like waiting for their, their guests to get here, because we want to be a part of a group. We, we want to identify with people. We want to, we want to be similar, and so we do things that that enhance that. For example, where, where you work. If you work at a place that is uh, business casual, maybe it's a button-up shirt and khakis, and, and people go to work that, that way that most people do, you're not going to roll in tomorrow in like cut-off shorts and a tank top. 
Because you would, you would feel like you're not connecting, you're not a part of the group. You, you would be the outsider looking in. That's why for teenagers, peer pressure is such a big deal. Because they want to be a, a, a part of a group. Even, even the ones that want to be different. You ever notice, like, I don't, I don't see it as much now, but you remember kind of when there was that goth stage? You remember that? And, like, kids were all black and black fingernails and black eyeliner and, and all of that because they wanted to be different. But if you went to the school, they were sitting with nine other people wearing all black, black fingernails. You know what I'm saying? They were, they were different, but they wanted to be a, a part of a group. We have that inside us. That's why I remember as, as a junior high student, high school student, when it was back-to-school shopping time, what my parents did later in life, I, I love, they would just say, hey, here's, here's the amount of money you're getting for school clothes. You can buy whatever you want, but if what you want buys you two outfits, that's, that's all you're getting. This, you know, because here's what we would do for school. And I remember going to the mall, the clean mall, there was a Miller's Outpost. Was that, anybody know Miller's Outpost? Okay, I know it's just clean. And Miller's Outpost was where all the, the cool clothes were, Ocean Pacific, <laughs> Z Cavaricci jeans. I, there's like, we wore that stuff, like, you know. But I, rem- I remember, and that, that's what everybody wore, so that's what I wanted to wear because I wanted to look like everyone else. My mother, God bless her, and I can't talk bad about her because she's my mom and it's Mother's Day, but this is a true story. When we would go clothes shopping before this, she used to take us every year to a department store called Wieners. <laughs> Who thought that was a marketing good idea? And I remember, I mean, not only, not only did it not have any of the clothes that everybody else wore, but it was called wieners. I, I mean, I, I'm like, and, and you just, I mean, you just rude the day someone would go, hey, where'd you get that shirt? I mean, I, it was, I'd rather like, it was my grandfather's and he handed it down. I mean, I would have rather said that than wieners. That's where we, you know, I wanted to be a part of the group. Apple this week bought Beats. I don't know if you're familiar with the beach. Your kids might have talked about them. Headsets. Apple bought it because everyone is buying these $200 to $300 headphones. The idea behind them is they're supposed to let you hear the music better, but most of the tests that have been done have said no. They're just $14 headphones that they sell for $200 to $300, and Apple went, we're going to get in on this. And so they bought it so that they could market it and campaign it. So why would a kid want to spend $200 on a set of headphones that do the exact same thing as the $3 headphones that aren't as big because everybody has them. It's because we want to be, we want to be connected to a group. We want, we want to fit in. Well, we started a series uh, this last Wednesday. If you want to hear that message, you'll have to download it because we didn't have it uh, last week. We weren't in here last week because of Clyde Impact Weekend. But you can download it on iTunes. You can listen to it uh, on the Youth Ministry website where we started a three-week journey through Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Three weeks, two verses. And so last week or Wednesday night, we talked about uh, verse 1. And this morning, we're going to get into verse 2. Before we get there, I want to continue this discussion. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to play into this idea of being transformed about group think or wanting to com- connect to a group. We, we can look at our teenagers and go, don't give in to peer pressure. Peer pressure is bad, and peer pressure has a lot of bad things. But I want to suggest to you that it's possible that God actually designed us for that. Not to make bad decisions because of peer pressure, but God designed us for community, didn't he? 
I mean, go back to the garden. Garden Genesis chapter 1 into very beginning. God creates everything. He creates animals. He's got Adam. Adam names the animals. And God says, it's not good for you to be alone. Now, that's huge because Adam wasn't alone. Adam had God. He had that relationship with God. And yet God looked and in his wisdom said, knowing that the way I designed humanity, humans need other humans. Yes, there's this vertical connection, vertical connection between us and God, the spiritual connection. But God made us to connect horizontally, to have relationships with other people. That's a good thing. Peer pressure in a negative sense is just Satan's twist on that. It's just Satan taking our desire for community, our desire for relationships, and going, hey, if you're, if you're going to have community or you're going to have relationships, you've got to do this. You've got to wear that. You've got to talk like that. So this, this desire for us to have community isn't bad. Peer pressure just flows out of that. But here's two highlights that we have to kind of caution and be careful of. God's designed us for community. And so we are out looking for relationships. We're looking for people. We want to connect with people. We want to feel like, hey, we're in this together. What can happen and often does is we find community and connections with what the Bible would call the world. We find community and connections with groups of people who don't have a biblical worldview. They, don't, they may not even have a relationship with Jesus. They might see God as something totally different than the way he's revealed himself. And so we're often, even as adults, we're finding this community and we don't realize it because it's a subconscious thing. We start thinking like, believing like, and then behaving like, because our behaviors come from the way we think and what we believe. We start thinking and believing and behaving like the people we've surrounded ourselves with, and they're not thinking, believing, or behaving like Jesus in any way, shape, or form. The world has a whole different set of values than, than the Scripture gives us. I mean, you can boil it down. I mean, the world, the world values money. And money's not a bad thing, but the world values money so that we can set up and build our own kingdom. That, that's why most of us and I say most of them, I'm talking about Americans in general. Most of us want money so that we can have stuff because stuff gives us security and stuff makes us feel good. And God goes, no, no, no. I don't, my values are totally different. I don't want you to have security in a paycheck. I want you to have security in me. I don't want you to have money so that you can have stuff that's going to disappear one day because that stuff feeds this emptiness inside you. I go buy something and, and it gives me something new to focus on. God says, I want you to, I want you to value your relationship with me. I'm going to give you money, not for yourself, but I'm going to give you money so you can bring the kingdom of God here with me. The world values power and influence. The world values pleasure. Really, right? I mean, it's self-pleasure. It's about what makes me feel good. My marriage is rocky, man, I'll get a divorce uh, or, or I'll, I'll find a fling with somebody else. Um, for, for a teenager, you know, I, I value A so much that I, I will cheat on a paper or, or do whatever I need to do. When you boil it all down, the world values self. And that's the root of sin. And as believers, we have believers in churches all across America, all across Georgetown this morning, who love Jesus and say, man, I want, I want to follow Jesus, but we've surrounded ourselves with people who have an absolutely contrary 180-degree worldview from 
God himself. And we never intended, we never intended to think, believe, and behave like the world. But when we're around it all the time, it subconsciously just begins to transform how we think, believe, and behave. But we need community. That's why having a small group, having a group of people that you can share life with is so important. You were designed for it, and if you don't find it with people who, who value Jesus and view the world the way Jesus does, if you're not surrounding yourself with those people to help you grow and, and learn and be shaped, it'll be shaped by the world. And that's a very scary thing that most of us don't even realize is happening. But that's why when you take divorce statistics, pornography addiction statistics, when you take sexual immorality statistics, you take integrity statistics, like especially with teenagers when it comes to cheating, of, of people who are far from God, and ha- here's the percentages, and then you go to believers, and you how do you line up in these categories? They're almost identical because we've conformed to the world. Well, Paul, in Romans 12, 1 through 2, is going to talk to us about a transformation. I'll give you a quick review since you weren't here, but you can listen to the details again, iTunes. Paul, in, in the first part of Romans, the first 11 chapters, he's giving theology, some deep theology. And, and he's, he's talking about salvation. And he's talking about what God has done for us, that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus saved you and me, if you're a follower of Jesus. He saved us from an eternity separated from God that the Bible calls hell, a bad place. And, and, and he saved us for heaven. And not only that, but he's given us life here on we're not just waiting for the end he's given us life here purpose uh, a design that we're supposed to walk in god's given us all of that and so in romans 12 uh, verse 1 paul is reflecting on that and he's trans he's, he's making a transition he says i appeal to you therefore and I, I told the students this my mentor taught me a long time ago when you're reading the bible when you see the word therefore that's a cue for you to ask what's the therefore therefore So he's talking about salvation. So he says, I appeal to you. That's a picture of kind of putting my arm around you. Come alongside you. I appeal to you because of what God's done. Therefore, because of salvation, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So in a nutshell, Paul says, because of what God has done, because of the mercy God poured out on you, that's been 11 chapters talking about, your response is to offer your body as a living sacrifice. You need to climb up on the altar of God. That would have been a, a picture they would have understood because in Rome they were still sacrificing animals to Roman gods. You need to climb up on the altar and sacrifice your life, a living sacrifice. You're not literally killing yourself. A living sacrifice, your finances, your resources, your family, your wants, your desires, your physical, your spiritual, your emotional, everything on the altar. A holy and acceptable gift because that's how you worship God because of what he's done. You just got like a 30-minute message in 20 seconds right there. You can go back and get the details. And then he says this. He he gives us the picture of how to do that and what that looks like. In verse 2, and we're just going to do half. I'll read it all to you. We're just going to focus on the first half. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Next week we'll look at this. That by testing... You may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So this morning, we're going we're gonna to transition because he says, offer your lives as a living sacrifice. And we said this on Wednesday night with kids, transformation starts with sacrifice. If you're going to transform anything, it starts with giving something up. 
And so, so Paul says, you're offering your life so God, God can transform you. And he says, here's how you do it. Stop being conformed to this world. J.B. Phillips has a famous translation of this verse that almost every pastor quotes when they talk about this passage. He says, don't let the world push you into its mold. That's what he says, how he translates that. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world say, hey, this is what you're supposed to look like. And when Paul writes this, he says, do not be conformed to this world. The, the word world literally means this age. And for the, the person who was hearing this or reading this for the first time, there, there was an immediate contrast in their mind. Paul says, don't be conformed, don't be pushed into what this age says is happening. Because for a believer of that time, and really for a believer today, it's still true, we're living for another time. We're living for another age. An author painted it this way, he said, the age that we're in now is dying. The age of Jesus restoring the world is dawning. And so we're kind of caught in between these two ages, caught in between these two worlds, the, the, a world that's dying, that, that sin is decaying, that is turning in and imploding on itself, and the new age that Jesus is going to finally bring to its fulfillment when he comes back. And so for a believer, we're right in the middle. We're kind of living in this world physically, but we're looking toward this world that's coming. And so Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. This idea is, is why... Why are you letting this world shape you and mold you? Because it's on its way out. You need to prepare for and get ready and start living for and living like you're a citizen of the new world that's coming. Does that make sense? So he says, don't let this old world put you into its mold, tell you what, is, what, what you're supposed to be like. But man, we are good at it. Even as, even as believers, we're good at it. This year, I think it was this year, the, the news articles were this year, they discovered a plant in Argentina and Chile called the chameleon vine. I put a picture of it. Here's what's amazing. Can you throw that up there? I think I've got it in there. Um, you can't really see it. Let me tell you what it is. It, you know what a chameleon is, the lizard that stands next to a green leaf and turns green, gets next to a brown rock and turns brown. We've seen animals have this ability to mimic. This is the first plant that's ever been discovered. And my understanding it was discovered this year that can mimic. Now, the blue arrows show the, the original plant. The red arrows show this chameleon vine. But here's what's crazy about it. Not only, because you might look at it and go, well, how do you know that's just not the same plant? Because the vine can grow across multiple different plants, one vine, and its leaves take the shape and form of whatever vine those leaves are next to. Tell me God's not cool when he made things like that, Right? And so, so it, it can actually grow leaves up to 10 times the size of its other leaves on the same vine to mimic and look like the plants that it's around. And unfortunately, that's what we're like. We're like the chameleon vine. We, we head off to work and we adapt to and we adopt the cultures and values and views of the people we work with. And we talk like them. And I'm not just talking about business talk our jokes, our language, we talk that way. But then we can come to church on a Sunday morning and we adapt to that group. And we start adopting those customs and dress and, and, and things like that. We go out to the, the baseball field or the football field or the soccer field or wherever and we're around those, and we, we adapt to them. Same vine, different adaptations. That's the world conforming and saying, this is what you're supposed to look like this here. You're supposed to value this with these people because you want community. 
when you go over here and you're with these people, you need to adopt and, and, and become a chameleon over here because you want community, and this is how you do that here. And Paul says, listen, doesn't matter if you're here, here, or here. Those places are all going away. That's, that, that's the age that was. You're living for the age that's coming. And Paul says, stop being conformed to this world. I think what he'd say to us this way, and this is how I'm communicating it to our students this week, is that it's okay to be different. It's okay to be different. We have to take the mold that the world gives us and break it and say, I'm not, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm going to embrace standing out for Jesus. I'm going to embrace, even if I have to stand alone, a lack of conformity to this age because I'm living for the one to come. So Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. And he says, but be transformed. Or actually, the Greek word there, the, the, the verb that's there, it would probably be better translate, uh, let ourselves be transformed. And it's the idea if it's an ongoing process. It's not a one-time thing. It's not, hey, I met Jesus and I got baptized and I'm totally different. Even though that is true, you're different spiritually, you're a new creation. He says, let us continue to be transformed. And even the idea in there is not something you do, but something Jesus does in you. So he says, say no to the mold, let's break it, let's be different, and then step into this new age where Jesus, the Holy Spirit in us, if you were here a few Sundays ago when I, when I preached about the Holy Spirit, it's this same concept, that the Holy Spirit inside of me is changing me and transforming me into the image of Jesus. The Bible would call that, or theologians would call that sanctification. Then I'm going to start thinking like and believing like and behaving like Jesus rather than the world. He says, let's not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of, it's the idea of your intellect and your moral judgments. Let what you think and believe and do be changed, be brand spanking new. Because as we begin to think differently, and we begin to believe differently, we begin to behave differently, and we begin to live our lives like a kingdom of the age that is coming. In the Old Testament, God gave the Israelites these, these laws. He gave them expectations. He gave them a way to live. And, and it wasn't simply that, I mean, part of it was God knows how he created humans, so he knows what's best for them. But it wasn't just arbitrary rules. It was because he knew what was best for them and because he wanted them to be set apart and different from everybody else. So there were some religious laws. There were some spiritual laws. But there were also laws of taking care of the poor, taking care of widows and orphans. That was an Old Testament idea, not just a New Testament idea. And, and the reason for that was God wanted all of these other people groups that were around that were looking at Israel, kind of the 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 test tube of what it was like to, to live with Jesus, to live with God. And he wanted these other, these other people groups to look at Israel and go, hey, something's been created here, and they're very different. The way they live is different. The way they treat people is different. Their economy is different. They're doing things differently. We're interested in seeing who this king is because they're different. Than, we're like everybody else, but they're different. That was part of why God gave Israel, Israel the, this law to live by. It was so that people would see God and he would be lifted up and they'd go, that works and that God is good and we want him to be our king. And you know what? It's no different now. It's what the church is supposed to be. 
We're supposed to be the body of Christ that goes out into our community that lives in a way that's not conformed to the world. We don't look like the world. We look very different because we've been transformed. We think differently, behave differently, believe differently because we have a renewed mind. And, and, and those things play out in living purposeful for the way God creates. And the idea is that the world looks at the church, they see the body of Christ, and they go, they're different than everybody else. What is it about them that makes them different? And they discover Jesus. We've got to be different. I was riding uh, in a car with a lady that uh, I do some work with, and we went down, we were doing a presentation for some of her family, helping them do some finances. And on the way back, we were, we, I started talking about Collide Impact Weekend. It was the week before. I started talking about all what our students were doing. And she kind of asked some other questions. I started talking about what else our church does. And talked about first serves and how a thousand people go into our community serve. Started talking about all the places around the world that we go and, and the things that we do here, not just first serves, but ongoing in apartment complexes and adopting local schools, five or six different schools that we serve in. And telling her all this, and of course, I'm getting excited about it. And this is what she says. I think I need to go check out your church. Because we're different. Where, who else? Who else is impacting their community like this church? There might be a few other churches. Probably are some. But there's no one government organization. There's not any one city that has its, its hands in so many different places. Yes, there's some groups that do great stuff in some, in some targeted areas. And they probably do more in those targeted areas than we do. But man, where in the world, I told you the story about the little girl with cancer several weeks ago. Marissa, where in the world, or where in this community in, in in five, six hours, can you get 35 people to show up to move two complete strangers' apartments, redo apartments, pay for the, the, the new flooring, pay for the cleaning for strangers? It's supposed to be different. It's supposed to make the, the, the landlady of the apartment complex go, these people are different. It's supposed to end up like it happened three weeks ago with that landlady walking down the aisle of First Baptist Georgetown saying, I want to join this church. That's what happened. Because these people are different. They're transformed. They're living for another kingdom with other values. And that intrigues me and I want to know more. That's why Paul says, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So here's what we do. Two things. One, and this is going to be hard. This is going to sound easy, but it's not. We have to build relationships in small groups. One of the struggles is, is even in a group this size, we've tried to turn these circles inward. And even still, sometimes we're just, we naturally want to be a part of the bigger group. Sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll get into small groups and, and, I, and I'll look out and like two circles are combined. we got 20 people because we're, we're comfortable that way. But we need small groups. We need relationships with people that we know intimately enough that when they look at our lives and they see us conforming to the world can say, stop. You really got to stop. This isn't what you want. And then we go, you're right, it's not. We need groups of people that can encourage us, that can lean into our lives and throughout history, probably, you know, the, not history, I guess, but my history, Sunday morning in the local church has been where that happened. We called it Sunday school. Small groups of people coming together, and then they, they grew and they got bigger. But we're, we're in a day and age where that's different. We're in a day and age where, like, like in our class, we have people that, because of all the other things going on, like you might make one Sunday out of four. And, that, and that's normal. I mean, that, that we, we live in that world. I mean, we've got all kinds of things going. So maybe Sunday morning doesn't work for you. A Sunday morning small group is not in the Bible. Community's in the Bible. 
So if you, if you can't make it to a small group regularly on Sunday morning, you need to find a small group. Make it Tuesday night, make it Thursday night. Who cares when? But the problem is even Tuesday night's busy and Thursday night's busy and Friday night's busy and Monday night's busy and Sunday night's busy. And if we were really honest, we'd go, it's not that I can't make it on Sunday morning. It's that I can't make it regularly anywhere. And the issue becomes a priority because here's what we do know. You will find community. You'll find it because God made you for it. You're wired for it. You can't, you can't live alone. It's not natural. It's like a news article, a lady in Pontiac, Michigan, passed away. That's the end of the story. She passed away, but all of her bills were set up on auto pay. Her car payment, everything. No one knew she passed away until the bank account ended up dry. And when the bank repossessed the house and couldn't get in contact with it, they didn't know what was happening, that basically I went through all the legal things. As the bank now owns the house, they realize that the, the roof is falling apart. They send some roofers out. As the roofers are fixing the roof, they find out that the woman is inside. She's been dead for five years. That's not natural. <laughs> that wasn't meant to be a joke. That is kind of funny, but it's not, nat- it's not natural. We weren't meant to be alone. We were meant to be in community. You will find community. So what community will you find? So what you've got to do, it's, it's the priority of a small group. And here's what I'm going to tell you. This is hard. Your small groups need to make a commitment to each other. Your teenager small groups need to make a commitment to each other. And here's what, here's what this looks like. And I'm not saying this from a pastoral standpoint. When a small group leader says, hey, and they get it out in the calendar a month or two months in advance, and they go, hey, we're going to do a cookout at our house. We want you to all come. And two couples show up, including the host. It's the host and another couple. And they're like, man, our small group isn't as good as that. That's on us. We have to step into it and go, man, I have a priority of having the right kind of community. I'm going to find community. But I don't want to find community that's conforming to the world. I've got to find community with a group of people who are living in this age to come, the, the one that Jesus is in charge of. And when that happens, when somebody says, hey, we've got to get together and we gotta, we're going to do a, a barbecue cookout or we're going to go to the movies, we have to say, you know what? That's got to be a priority for us. I mean, it's got to be like, hey, we've got a, a funeral or a wedding or I can't even get off work. That's, the, that's why we're going to miss it. Because you will find it someplace but you want to find it in the right place. I got a text this Friday night. Best text I've had in, in a long time. Wednesday night we were talking somewhat about this, not really in the same direction, but we were talking about transformation and sacrifice, and we are talking about transforming relationships and friendships, and I was talking with your, your students about how I know they have friends, and, and some of the friends are living in this world. We didn't call it this way, but you know, they, they, they're stuck between, hey, your teenagers are stuck between, everybody's at the party on Friday night in a bad place. I don't need to be there. But my only option, if I'm not there, is to be at home watching TV with my parents. And that, that sucks equally as bad. I mean, it's like, you know what? And they're caught in this tension, this catch-22. And one of the things I told them is that some of you just have to sacrifice fear. And you're going to have to get two or three friends that will commit and say, hey, we're going to go to the movies or we're going to go to a movie and invite everybody. And just say, hey, anybody that wants to come, come on, we're going to do it. But you have to be aware, it may just be two of you. And it may be awkward. And the next week, say, hey, we're going to go bowling. And the next week, hey, we're going to go to so-and-so's house and start creating some opportunities for other people to lean on to. I got a text on Friday night 
um, of some of our students. Like they were at a restaurant or something like that. Courtney was one of them, the Hewlett's daughter. And they sent a picture and they said, hey, we called a bunch of friends and uh, we got together to do our things and we're having a blast. I texted them back and said, that was the best text I've had. Keep it up. They know they need community. You need community. Where are you going to find it? You're going to find it in a small group. Here's the second thing. We've got to start thinking like Jesus. We've got to figure out, and I don't know how you connect with God, how do I put myself around Jesus? We've already said, you think, believe, and behave like the people you're around. We're not going to conform to them, so we're going to think and behave and believe like Jesus, which is one reason why we need to be around the people of God. But how do we start learning how Jesus saw the world? It's going to happen through some spiritual disciplines, actually reading a Bible, talking with Jesus. It's going to happen from reading some books that people before you have written. You know, a great one if you're a reader, and this is on our leadership track, I believe for our sophomores, we ask them to read How Now Shall We Live by Chuck Colson. A, a worldview, how, does, how does the Bible tell us to see the world? Maybe you need a spiritual director. You might need a mentor, but maybe a spiritual director that just kind of lines out a path for you to start doing some spiritual disciplines that shape your mind, that renew the way you think and the way you believe so that the way you live starts to look like Jesus. And what would that look like? What would it look like if the church, any church, was actually full of people who weren't conformed to this world but were being transformed? The continual journey of their mind being renewed. You know what would happen? The church would start transforming culture. This they were, they were trying to avoid being conformed. We wouldn't be running from it. We'd be changing it. Problem is you can't do it alone. You can't change your culture all by yourself. But if the church started living transformed and started leaning into their world and their culture and their relationships and their businesses and their neighborhoods, things would change. It's like a little church in Amarillo. There were some wildfires in 2011 around the area and this church had just started and they said, well, we've got to do something in our community. They had $800 in the bank as a church. Baby church, brand new. And they basically got out a map in their neighborhood and drew some lines on the map. And they said, we may not at this point in our lives be able to change the world, but we can lean in and we can transform the neighborhood that's between this street and this street and that street and that street. And they live in a, in a poor area uh, in urban Amarillo, downtown area. And they started a food bank that feeds people. They started a, a place where people could come and get clothes to go do job interviews. They set up a, a building in a room that had eight different computers where people could come in and, and build resumes and do interview practices. Put a salon in there so they could get a haircut before they, they went to get a job. They started leaning into their community to do all kinds of transformation just in a, in a few city blocks. And I love what one of the ministers on the staff said. He said, we hope in five to ten years to be absolutely irrelevant to this community. And what he meant by that, they'll never be irrelevant because they'll transform it. But what he meant is that they don't even need us because this church has leaned in and transformed the community and it's different. Man, that's, that's pretty cool. Now I'm going to ask you to worry about Texas or Georgetown or Liberty Hill or Round Rock, Leander or Cedar Park, wherever you're from. 
not going to ask you this week to worry about your neighborhood. Let's start leaning in on our kids. Start leaning in on our family. And start bringing them along the transformation process so as a family, we can start transforming our neighborhood. And then when God joins us there, he's already there, really we'll be joining him. When that neighborhood gets transformed, our neighborhood can start transforming our cities. And the cool thing is, your neighborhood can join my neighborhood and their neighborhood, and we'll do it quickly. Because the power of God will bring the kingdom of God here. Paul says, you want to live a response to the salvation that God's given you? Climb up on the altar. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Is how you worship. And the first step is stop being molded into what the world says you're supposed to be. Start living in this age. A lot easier on paper than it is in real life. But the good news is the Holy Spirit's inside of us and He can do anything. Let's pray.